Well, thank you to all of our worship leaders. What a great job you do and uh, setting us up for just to open up the Magnificent One's Word. He's given us a word, and let's take our Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 5 this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture. And if this is your first time with us, you are in the second part of a series called Search. Uh, we Google everything in life nowadays, but a lot of times uh, we are Googling in the wrong areas, and we're, we're asking Wikipedia some of the great questions of life instead of God's Word. And so this series is designed to help us answer life's biggest questions from a biblical perspective. And I put a number in your bulletin. I think you can see it on the slide. Perhaps I have the number still there. If you've got some big life questions, uh, send them in. I've gotten some, some interesting questions, uh, but I want some of those big life questions that just are gnawing at you, uh, that sometimes have some, some difficult answers. And today we're going to look at, I think, the most difficult question of all. Last week, I began the series with how can we trust the Bible, and I uh, got some good response on that. And I ended the service with, with that little song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Why? Because the, the Bible tells me so. And that is a wonderful, wonderful song. We ought to teach our children those songs, and it's important that we know that fact. But as you grow up and as you get older and you, you begin to face life, you begin to encounter things in life that make you question the love of God. Does God really love me when cancer strikes? Does God really love me when I see one of my best friends die or when I see a child with cancer? We begin to run into the difficult things of life. And, and, and the song, Jesus Loves Me, in its simple in sim its simplicity sometimes doesn't help us grapple with those gnawing questions. If God loves us so much, if he's such a great God, then why am I seeing the towers fall on 9-11? Why, why are these people getting away with such evil? Why is there such tragedy? You know, as a pastor, you get sort of a front row seat uh, into people's tragedies. And I've had to, to sit with, with folks in a lot of loss and and I'll never forget that day, 15 years ago, 9-11. That day didn't really start with the falling of the towers for me. It started with a phone call. It was a phone call from a church member of a, of a, of a friend's church just down the road. And he said, Pastor, uh, your friend's son, our pastor's son, 14-year-old, took his life last night. And you know what? That was a very shocking thing for me. I just... I'd not faced many suicides, and, and this one just really hit close to home. And so I went into the office, and, and, and as I arrived in the office, I came in after having visited this man. So the day began sitting on the, on the side of a bed where this young man had just taken his life, weeping with his father, reading the open scriptures where he had read the verses and underlined Verses assuring him of his salvation, and then he shot himself. I walked out of that, walked into my office, and the education pastor waved me into his office and said, something just happened in New York City. And then for the next hour, I proceeded to watch what most of you watched that day, the first tower fall and the second tower fall. And at the end of the day, I just walked into my home stunned with grief, stunned with the, the face of, of evil and the face of, of, of natural suffering. This, 
this young man had some depression, something was going on in his life, and we'll never know this side of heaven why he did that. But, but on that day, I saw families up close struggling with the big question, and I saw thousands' lives in that day, and, and an entire nation asking the same question that that family was asking, why? Why? Why, why does such bad things happen? God, if you are so good. You know, Barna asked the question and did a survey, and he said this. If you could ask God only one question, what would you ask? By far the most common reply from his survey was this. Why is there pain and suffering in the world? John Stott, wonderful theologian, said, The fact of suffering undoubtedly constitutes the single greatest challenge to the Christian faith and has been in every generation. Its distribution and degree appear to be entirely random and therefore unfair. Sensitive spirits ask if it can be possible, if it can possibly be reconciled with God's justice and love. I'd say this, if, if somehow you're comfortable with this and you don't ask the question why from time to time, we need to talk. Your spirit is not sensitive enough. Who could trust a God if this is the best world he can possibly create? That is a fair question. And I think it is the atheist's most powerful weapon in his arsenal. In fact, I know it is. And let me just begin this. I'm going to attempt to just give you some propositions, some, thing to think, some things to think about, some perspectives to help you answer this question in your own heart, in your own, your own mind, and to help you as you, you talk with folks that, that are going to ask you this question, and they will. I want to give you some perspectives and, and look at a few of those, and then I want to look at God's solution to the problem of pain and suffering and evil in the world. But I'm going to tell you this right off the bat. After 25 years of, of just dealing and wrangling with this, I'm not to a point where I'm totally comfortable with my answer. I don't know that we're ever on this side of creation going to get to a point where we're absolutely comfortable, comfortable with the situation the way it is. In fact, I don't know that we have a perfect answer of why God would create the world willingly in his all-powerful state, knowing all things, why he would create a world that would allow the kind of suffering and evil that we see. But I want to attempt to give you some perspective on it this morning, and I think the Word of God gives us some perspective on this. But if you want to go away today absolutely 100% comfortable, you probably won't. And one of the reasons I think God doesn't let us be 100% comfortable with it is because the presence of evil and suffering actually motivates us, doesn't it? If we just became callous to it and said, well, that's just the way it is, just fatalistic, we would stop pursuing justice. We would stop fighting disease. We'd stop fighting the enemy. Our sense of injustice and our sense of, of this suffering must stop motivates humanity to do some great things. You saw that on 9-11. You saw a nation rally, rally around this kind of suffering. And so the very presence of it and, and our being disturbed by it is actually a good thing. Well, let's just take a few series of thoughts here, and let's just write down a few perspectives that I think will help us. The first perspective is this, is, is we all know that to a certain degree, pain and suffering can actually have some positive results. 
We saw that in 9-11 as it rallied the nation, as it, it caused us to awaken to uh, the threat that is out there and caused us to be more security conscious. We can always find a little bit of silver lining in some of the, most, some of the greatest tragedies. But we would not, if you think through it, we would never want to take away all pain and suffering out of life. Pain physically is absolutely important. The absence of pain would lead to things like leprosy where you don't even feel the problems and you lose uh, appendages and limbs because you can't feel pain. Pain is an important part of your life physically. If you remove all pain and suffering out of the raising of your children, we're in trouble. Can I just tell you that? We, we know that there is a, there, we need to inflict a little bit of pain and suffering in the discipline of our children in order to help them become socially adjusted, good moral people. We need discipline. We know that often there are times where there are just wars, where certain bombs have to be dropped to prevent even greater tragedy. So I think all of us could admit, if we, we look at it in a, from that perspective, there are positive things that can come out of pain and suffering. Physically, emotionally, we would never want to do away with laws and punishment. If we did away with prisons, capital punishment, all of those kind of things, what would we be left with? So we know there's, there's some good that can come out of that, but that's not really the problem. The problem is when we see pointless evil pointless suffering, suffering we really can't figure out. Sometimes it's natural suffering. It can be earthquakes and hurricanes and all of these things. And we say, God, why do you allow that to come? Disease, dementia, depression, all of these kind of things that come that are natural evil. And then we have moral evil and we look and we can't understand why won't, why can't everybody just get along? We ask the question of God. Well, let me just kind of go another step. If we know that some suffering and some positive results can come out of suffering and, and that there can be a point to suffering, then there's a second thought I want to give you. And I've said this to my children. You don't have to get the point for there to be one. You don't have to get the point for there to be one. I have said things I didn't think I was going to say. I looked at them and said, because I told you so, right? We get to that point where we look at the kids and they're asking us why, 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 why. And we realize sometimes we, we just can't explain it to them in a way that their limited capacity can understand. Now, we have a responsibility as they grow to begin to explain things to them. So we don't have to necessarily get the point for there to be a point. I'll never forget, never forget the time that Sarah and I stood in the hallway of a hospital and handed over our three-year-old son, Luke, to two fully dressed, masked nurses and watching him walk down. They had him over their shoulder, were holding him like this, and he was looking back at us, screaming, as they carried him down the hall to go have his appendix removed. Why, Daddy, why? What are these masked people 
doing. I could explain it as best we could, but he couldn't fully comprehend the need to stick a knife in his belly. And so there, we don't have to necessarily get the point for there to be a point. So let me just build on that a little bit. So, so pain and suffering can have positive results. We would admit that. And we would also admit that there are things that we may not understand. And we don't, there can be a point, and that point is good, even though we may not understand it. Let me add a third thing. If you have a God big enough to blame for all of the evil and pain and suffering in the world, if he's big enough to blame for it, he's big enough to, to know why it is there. He's big enough to have a point for all of this evil and pain and suffering if he's big enough to stop it. If he's big enough to have allowed it, he's big enough to know something that you don't. Let me, let me just give the backside of that. If you have a God, if you have a God and you kind of invent a God or bring up with it, or you want a God who can explain why he does everything he does, he is a God who is too small to do anything about all the evil, pain, and suffering in the world. If you want a God who can speak to you and help you comprehend everything that he comprehends, he's way too small. He'd have to be small enough to fit in your little mind. I don't want a God that small because he can't do a thing about the evil, pain, and suffering in my life because I can't do a thing about it. I want a God big enough that I can't totally comprehend. But isn't it wonderful that God did not leave us in the dark and just set us down and just say, because I told you so? I believe that God, to our capacity, to the capacity that humanity can get it, he went to all kinds of efforts to explain to us how evil got here, why we're suffering, and what he's done about it. He spoke through the prophets in many portions in many ways in the past. Then, after we killed all of the prophets and sent them home and didn't really listen to them, he came in him, his, his flesh. He came in his son. He came to explain why we have pain and evil and suffering to the best that we can possibly understand it. He has communicated it to us. But there is a degree, listen, for God, think about it this way, for God to communicate clearly exactly how all of the evil and pain and suffering how he knows it's going to happen allows it to happen and creates a universe where it can happen how he works all of that together for his glory and for our good you know what he'd have to do to explain that perfectly he'd have to create himself to talk to see in some sense we diminish god to the point that he's, he's of no use to us. He's too small to help us. If he can explain all of his reasoning. We kind of come to the hem of his garment, don't we? Just try to grasp as best we can. But he has done wonderful things to communicate to us his love and his reasoning. And you know what he's also done? He has poured into our lives incredible resources for the suffering 
He has poured into us his spirit. He has given us the body of Christ to rally around us, to comfort, to love and encourage, to weep with those who weep, to rejoice with those who rejoice. So he can't explain all of it and how it works. And I don't know that we could really, we can't comprehend it or we'd want a God small enough for us to be able to comprehend it. But then he comes and he gives us these incredible resources to deal with it. So if your God is small enough to fully comprehend, I think he's too small to help. I mean, some of you, I like, to, I like to have conversations. I'm fascinated by all sorts of different things. I guess that I'm a learner. If you're learners, you like to. And so I would be fascinated to be able to talk to some of you who are in the medical field. I know we've got surgeons out here and neurologists and, and uh, dental folks. And we got all sorts of smart people. We got PhDs, astrophysicists, and all of these smart folks I can't believe you come to hear me preach, and it makes me nervous, but uh, you, you are out there. And I could go, and I could, I, I met an astrophysicist guy who's studying here, young guy. I'd like to sit down and talk to this astrophysicist, and he'd look at me and go, you know, I could have a conversation with you, but I'm going to have to dumb it way down. He wouldn't probably tell me that, but he'd have to dumb it way down, right? But here's the possibility. Here's what I could do. I could go read up on astrophysics I could study it. I could maybe go take a few classes. Probably what I'd do is watch a few uh, shows. But anyway, I would do something like that. And then I could come and maybe have a halfway intelligent conversation with an astrophysicist because he and I are both humans. He and I are both human beings. So there's a possibility I can get up there and have have a conversation. But we are the creatures. He is the what? The creator. So let's not shrink God. And we, we, we just need to understand the, the fifth thing or the fourth thing or the fifth thing. If we deny there is a God, if we just look at the situation and said, well, no God would do this. There is no God. Does that help the situation any? No. That leads to Chaos. If there's nobody who invented this game and set the rules for the universe, then my rules are as good as your rules. It's just, it's just chaos. It's whoever can have the most power sets the rules for the game. It doesn't help us a bit to eliminate the possibility of God. And if you do away, you know, some people will try to do away with evil and pain and suffering by doing away with God. But when you do away with God, you not only get rid of evil, you also get rid of good. Because who sets the standard for what's good? You know, even atheists kind of appeal to some type of standard back there. And I keep asking, well, where is it? Where'd you get it from? There's some sort of moral God in their mind, even if they're atheistic. There's some sort of moral standard. But if you truly get rid of God, you get rid not, of e- not just of evil, you get rid of good as well. There's no standard. Let me give you the, the final thing. The final thing is if God really did away with all evil, like we want, who would he have to get rid of? us if we could just snap our fingers and say god would you right now get rid of all suffering pain and evil right now he'd say okay goodbye 
He'd have to get rid of us. Any honest observer of humanity really sees that there's something broken in the heart of human beings. You cannot explain the level of evil and atrocity in our world with evolution. You cannot explain it. There is a spiritual dimension to this. There is a wickedness and a brokenness, 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 I can't say this, is a brokenness to this that can't be explained without another spiritual dimension. And God's word comes into that. He says, listen, there is evil. God allowed it. God created the potential for evil. He knew when he created the world, he knew what was going to happen because he's omniscient, he's omnipotent. We don't know the ultimate, ultimate um, reason how this works for his glory, but we know that according to Scripture, God created a universe with the potential for evil, knowing that evil would be birthed, knowing that there would be pain and suffering. He created that for his glory. We know that ultimately it's for his glory. And here's what we come to the point of faith. We come to the point of understanding is that we must trust, we must trust this, that by creating a world with the potential for evil, that would fill itself with evil and pain and suffering, and, uh, that this would actually be the greatest way God could glorify himself. One of the reasons I think it is the, perhaps the greatest way it could glorify himself is because the creator allowed this to happen so that he could take the stage and demonstrate his nature of self-sacrificial love, unconditional love. He created a universe where he entered into the suffering and took the punishment you and I deserve. He entered into the suffering to glorify himself. Now that answer may be hard to rest with, but I think that's where the Bible leads us. Because any other answer gives you kind of a, a bigger problem. If we, if, and some would teach this. Well, God just kind of wound it up and didn't know what was going to happen. Or God just, he couldn't control it. God's not in control. It got out of hand. The earth got out of hand with God. Listen, if, if the world can get out of God's hands, he's not God. So we're left with a God who allowed this for his glory and ultimately for our good. And he asks us to trust him. But he didn't just ask us to trust him and say it's going to be okay. He showed it's going to be okay. He offered a solution. Now let's look at Romans chapter 5. And I, I neglected to read those first few verses, so let's back up. Let's back up to verse 3. Notice Paul's perspective on suffering. And this doesn't really fit perfectly because this suffering has a point, and he knows what the point is. They're preaching the gospel. They're suffering because of their faith. But notice he sees positive results. He says, not only that, 
We rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces something. Endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. He says, so we've got suffering. The suffering can have positive results. And then God gives us the Holy Spirit. He pours out his love and his spirit into our hearts to help us through this, to help us understand it, to help us bear up in our suffering. He didn't even remove the suffering from his apostles or from his church. But look at his solution. Let's go to the next verse. Romans 6. For while we were still weak, while we're the problem, ultimately, at the right time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. Who is Christ? The Bible teaches us that Christ is the anointed one. He is God in the flesh. Philippians 2 said that God the Son did not regard his place in heaven, equality with God, something to hold on to at the expense of everybody else, but he emptied himself and took on the form of a bondservant. He was made in the likeness of men. He was made in our form, and he became obedient, obedient even to the point of what? Do you know what it says? Death. Death on a cross. How's that for suffering? How's that for pointless, needless, innocence, suffering? And because of his suffering, Philippians goes on to say, Therefore God highly exalted him, that at the name of Jesus every knee would what? Would, would bow and tongue confess. And so God entered into his suffering while we were weak. While we were ungodly, look at verse 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. God saved us from his own wrath. In other words, let me put it this way. God designed a way to get rid of sin without having to get rid of us. God designed a way to get rid of sin without having to get rid of us. And the only way he could do that was for him to take all the sin and blame and suffering all of that evil, take it on himself so that he didn't have to put it all on us. Verse 10 says, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we were reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. God designed a way to get rid of sin without having to get rid of us. And then there's a second thing. There's a second thing that's important to know. He didn't just stop there. 
He didn't just stop there so that we could go to heaven. He actually designed a way to bring us to a new world and a new life that's even better than this one. He designed a way to bring us to a new world, not just to heaven. Do you know what the Bible teaches? Here's what the Bible teaches. That six-year-old that gets leukemia and dies, or that two-year-old that's left in a hot car in the Walmart parking lot and suffocates, is resurrected into a world of unimaginable beauty and opportunity that will last for an eternity that will so far surpass this we can't even imagine it. That little two-year-old doesn't lose. You know, all that two-year-old lost is a chance to live a life in this world. I'm not saying that that's not tragic. That is tragic. But you know what Jesus did? He designed a way to actually reimburse you and recompense and restore life and resurrect us. To, to take us out of the dust, the dust of ground zero. And give us a second chance. That's the gospel. Why did God allow of it? I, ultimately, I don't understand how it works for his glory. And I won't pretend to say that. But here's what I know. God provided a solution at his own cost. A great cost. One of the most incomprehensible things that happened to me as a pastor, and there have just been many. I mean, I could tell you story after story, but I remember a phone call when I was at my first church as a pastor in Selma, North Carolina. It was from a father, and I could hear in his voice the sound of suffering. And I said, what's wrong? He said, it's Jeremy. I said, what's wrong with Jeremy? He's they say he's about to die, Pastor. Can you come? Jeremy was 16. Jeremy was the picture of physical health. He was a great student. He, had every, he was popular. He had all those earthly things you would, you would desire. He had them. He had that going for him. I said, what do you mean he's about to die? And they said, Pastor, he's got a form of bacterial meningitis. We thought it was just a cold But in about 24 hours, Pastor, that cold became something that's just robbing his life. Can you come? And I went. And I stood around this table where, where he laid unconscious. And I listened to doctors try to decide which limbs to cut off and amputate in an effort to keep it from spreading through his body. And I'm looking at the mom and Dad, I don't know what to say. I still don't. Why? 
they decided it was too late. And we just held hands, we cried, and watched him die. A few days later, we buried him. I don't know the answers why, but some amazing things happened. You see, that, that day that I buried him in the ground was not the first day I buried him. It was only really a couple of months earlier I'd buried him in the waters of baptism. And I want you to remember the symbol. If it weren't for the gospel, I'd get charged and thrown in prison for drowning people. Because I would have had to have left Jenna under that water. Are you following me? If it weren't for the gospel, I'd have had to left her under because that would be all it's... When we die, we're dead. The gospel says, because I... It, this is the great symbol. We're buried with Christ in the likeness of his death and what? We're, we're raised to walk. And it's not just a spiritual resurrection. Jesus physically rose from the dead. And, and what we just symbolized is what the Bible teaches. And so the great thing is, is that when I put his body in the grave, we could rejoice that, his grave, that he will one day resurrect to newness of life and to a, a restored world. And through the tears and the moaning and the groaning, there was a deep abiding faith we could celebrate he didn't die for the first time on that day he died to himself and he gave his life to Christ just months earlier and let me just tell you this after that funeral I was able to go do a second funeral at the local high school with over a thousand people dozens and dozens and dozens of teenagers gave their heart to Jesus let me just ask you this. If you were that mother, would you have traded your son for those dozen? No. You wouldn't have. Did it, did it take her suffering away? No. I'm just telling you that his life became a seed that was planted. It bore fruit, immediate fruit in that high school. Can I tell you something else about Jeremy? Jeremy was black. He was an African-American young man and the first one ever baptized in that church. And it was 150 years old. Through that ministry and in that funeral, there were a mixing of crowds in this place where the very last known lynching occurred was in that Smithfield Selma area. That church was filled with people who never went to church together because of Jeremy. Their family joined our church. His death put to death something that needed to die in our church. I don't know all the answers. I just know sometimes God gives us a glimpse to let us see how he works all things for his glory and for our good. Let's pray together.
with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, you've seen a wonderful testimony today. Uh, this young lady who professed that she gave her heart and her life to Jesus. And maybe some of you really struggled with this particular question. Why all the suffering? Maybe some of you are struggling with the guilt of your sin. God can't love me. You know the answer to all these questions ultimately is the cross of Jesus. Because when we look on the cross, we see God suffering. He didn't just inflict us with suffering and allow that to happen. He came and he took the greatest suffering. And the greatest suffering gave us the greatest good. It gave us hope out of suffering. It gave us life out of death. It gave us a world this world can't even touch where we'll be restored, where there'll be no more funerals, no more tears, no more grief. And at the center of it all is the cross of Jesus. He came and he died for each person in this room And the reason that he died is he understands the greatest suffering you and I can't comprehend is separation from God forever in a place called hell. He came to separate you from that suffering if you'll receive it. Would you receive Christ by faith today? All you need to do is turn to him. That's all you can do is turn from sin and self, turn to Christ and ask him, will you save me? Will you make me new? He will cause you to be born again in your spirit. He will give you an eternal home in heaven and he'll give you peace and a hope. And and it's not gonna remove all the suffering in your life. It's not gonna maybe answer every single question with full comprehension, but it will give you peace and his spirit and a hope, like Paul said in this passage, a hope that will never disappoint. Do you want that? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you wanna trust Christ, Give your heart and life to him. I want to pray a prayer with you. But I'd like to know if you, if you want to pray that prayer with me. If you're in this room and you'd like to say, Pastor, I'd love to pray and trust Christ as my Savior this morning. I just want you, wherever you are, just raise your hand. No one's looking. I'd just love to see if anyone in here wants to pray with me. Just raise your hand wherever you are in the room. Thank you. I see those hands. Just pray and ask God. Just pray with me. Dear Jesus, thank you for coming into this suffering world. Thank you for suffering in my place on the cross. I ask for the forgiveness of my sins. And I ask for new life. And for heaven. I believe right now, just listen, if you just raised your hand or you prayed that prayer, I believe when you turn to him, confess him as your Lord and Savior, he saves you. He saves you. And don't just let it stop there. When we sing in just a moment, if you've never been baptized like Jenna, Jenna just told Sarah yesterday, I want to be baptized. So we did. You take that next step. We have counselors that will be here. You come up whenever you feel like you're ready. We'd love to talk with you. 
and help you take those next steps. You just made the greatest decision you'll ever make. Congregation, as we stand and sing in just a moment, just worship the Lord and turn your hurts and your sorrows to Him. This pastor may have done a terrible job explaining pain and suffering. I don't know if I helped you a bit, but I know he can help you. I know he can help you. Just rest on him. He's big enough to understand why he allowed that to happen in your life. And he loved you enough to die to give his son. He loves you. Would you trust him with that? Father, this is your invitation. Help us respond in faith. And it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.